This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This week on The Takeout, what's next for Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders? We asked Terry Sullivan, Republican, Jamal Simmons, Democrat. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Major Garrett, yes, CBS, yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome Major Garrett from the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, Chief Washington Correspondent, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout. Wake up. Welcome to The Takeout Table. Thanks for joining us. Rectangular Table this week. Because we have not one, but two guests. We're going to talk all about the current race for the presidency, mostly on the Democratic side, but not exclusively there. That's where most of the action is. But this is always, as every national campaign is, a choice between two different visions for the country. And we'll get into both. Our two guests in no particular order. Terry Sullivan. Terry, say hello. Hello. Jamal Simmons. Jamal, say hello. Hello. There we go. Oh, very mellow. Very mellow. <laughs> the dulcet at, tones. The dulcet tones of Jamal Simmons. We're at Astro Beer Hall, downtown Washington, D.C. Food is on the way. Terry Sullivan has a beer. I have an iced tea because I might have to be on the air later on tonight. That's just <laughs> how it works, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, briefly, each of you summarize your key political experience so my audience knows just how smart you actually are. Terry. Uh I've run a lot of races for 20 years. Started Drop with, some names. Yeah, uh, Jesse Helms in 96 was the first. I was his youth coordinator. was the first uh, campaign I actually worked on. Uh, Jim DeMint, Trey Gowdy, uh, Kayleigh Hutchison, uh, probably over, uh, actually over 100 uh, political campaigns. Um, and the last one was Marco Rubio's presidential campaign. Um, I won't spoil it, but, uh, but I lost to a reality TV star. Correct. So. Jamal. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so when I was a kid, I went to go work for Bill Clinton when he first ran for president. Uh, I was in the Clinton uh, White House administration for about four years. And then Al Gore in 2000. And I was in a Senate race in Georgia in 2002, which was the first time Osama bin Laden had ever been used in a television ad right. for Max Cleland. Saw <clears> you <throat> down there. You yep. came down there to Scotty Howell's ad. Yep. It's a good yeah. ad. <laughs> so to speak, uh, <laughs> good as a there will be disagreements a, about that. Word for horrible, um, and then um, uh, you know Barack Obama, two thousand eight, uh, Wesley Clark, two thousand four, mm-hmm. bunch of stuff. Right. So, I want to ask both of you something right now because the conversation we're recording this on a Wednesday of this particular week. You'll hear it starting on the podcast platforms Friday and on our more than 60 radio stations around the country this weekend. So the day that we're recording this, things will happen after this. But one thing we know for sure... I mean, things are probably happening right now. Exactly. (laughs) 
things are happening right now. But what happened this morning is relevant to the question I'm going to ask, which is Bernie Sanders said, I'm not getting out and I want my one-on-one debate with Joe Biden. Uh, assess that, both of you. And then I want to ask you another question about the future of the Sanders campaign. Good idea, bad idea. You know, just when I thought that the Democrat Party had, had uh, was smarter than the Republican Party, they figured it out. This is, okay, wow, they're really efficient. They've unified behind a candidate. No, no, uh-uh. Bernie's going to burn the whole damn thing down. So it's, it's entertaining to watch. I don't know what the point is, but, but as a Republican, this is, this is great theater. And why, from your perspective, is it pointless for him to continue? Bernie Sanders, that is. Because uh, he, he's, the delegate math is not there for him. There, it's not like there's a, anybody else in the race that's going to keep Biden from getting to the majority of delegates before the convention. And even if there was, once those 700 superdelegates or 700 change superdelegates are, are enacted after the first round of balloting, none of them are going to vote for Bernie Sanders. And so uh, uh, there's no logical, mathematical way for him to be the nominee of the Democrat Party. And he's going to further alienate himself to folks who just want to go beat Donald Trump. And so uh, this is a uh, this is just a fool's errand. Jamal, evaluate Senator Sanders' decision and whatever path forward you see or don't see for him. I'm mystified that Terry does not think that Tulsi Gabbard uh, stands a chance at Picking up enough delegates <laughs> Two to, delegates to thwart uh, Vice President Biden. Um, so I have a more generous view of this. I think that Bernie Sanders is riding a tiger. And that tiger has fangs and teeth, and they come after anybody that gets in their way. It's that progressive left. They call them the Bernie bros. They call them, I mean, there are all sorts of names for them. But um, I think he's got to figure out how to bring this thing in for all this plane. I'm going to mix metaphors here. How to bring this plane in for a landing in a way that Tiger doesn't turn on him or on the rest of the party and does do real damage. And so he does have to figure out how to help them process their grief and realize that where they're headed, there is no other alternative. And, and we pers- might not be there yet. And from your perspective, that takes some amount of time. It takes some amount of time. I've seen this in campaigns before. You, it's very hard to go back to your supporters when um, they think you still have a chance, or they think there's still a point to make, and you've got to tell them it's over. So you kind of have to let that energy burn off a little bit before you try to end this thing. Yeah, yeah but that's, that's part of being a leader. I mean, that's part of, of being a leader and someone who, who, who wants the best for, for your party. Now, the difference here, the outlier here is the Democrat Party is not Bernie's party. It never has been. He's proud to be a, a, a Democratic Socialist. So he has no loyalty to the party. And so he doesn't care to drag it out. It's doing more. I mean, I, I see your point, but it's doing more. Da- having a debate with Joe Biden, I'm assuming he's not going to get up there and sing Kumbaya and say, look, we 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 t- No, as a matter of fact, at his press, he didn't have a press conference. He just made a statement in his statement that he read. He outlined seven questions he's going to ask the right. vice president. He yeah. gave him his debate prep material right, right then and there. Right. right. Well, when he said it's, it's issues based, right, they're not going to he's not going to attack him personally. And look, the issues are fair. And, you know, the vice president's going to have to kind of figure out how he brings these people into his campaign. So he doesn't end up like Hillary Clinton did four years ago. And Terry, without let me ask having, you this. Uh, without having these folks on his side. I heard what you said, but let me ask you this. I mean, let's just put yourself in the position where you were with Senator Rubio. And Senator Rubio didn't win Iowa and New Hampshire. Bernie Sanders won the popular vote right. in Iowa, and he won the popular vote in New Hampshire. And up until super, uh, up until rather the South Carolina primary, he was with the Nevada caucuses the front runner. 
doesn't a front runner or at least a temporary front runner have a ch- have a responsibility to himself, to his campaign and his supporters to say, you know what? This is the first time I get to have a one on one debate with Joe Biden. Can I at least have that before I fold the tent? You know what? There was a, a tremendous amount. Of, and you know that yeah, if you had been I mean, working look, we, for Senator Rubio, he would have made that kind of argument to you. You know what, though? Actually, I mean, this is something that we were in, you know, four years ago right now having real conversations about. So it's not a theoretical exercise. I, I, I agree with what you're saying in theory, but we had these conversations four years ago. And at the end of the day, there were a tremendous amount of supporters that wanted to keep going. Look, at this point in time, Marco at our campaign had more delegates than, than Elizabeth Warren has now or, or uh, Mayor Pete or a lot of these other folks had more delegates. Uh, so there was this compelling math. Look, it's going to go to convention. This is, you know, everybody's snatching up delegates. And, and Marco looked at it and said, you know what? The best thing for the party, there's no path for me to win. And I'm going to be a leader about this. And look, there was a lot of, of, of donors and supporters who were really upset. Now, of course, he got thrown in Florida. Absolutely. And that was the cork in the bottle. Absolutely. But there was still a t- tremendous amount of, of individuals who wanted him to continue on because the party was in many ways terrified of Donald Trump and, and, and almost as terrified as the Zodiac killer. I mean, Ted Cruz. So the um, so like by a big chunk of the party, they they were devastated when Marco dropped out. But we never heard about Marco Bros. <laughs> in the last, no. no, four years ago. And I'll say the people who are following um, Bernie Sanders in this campaign are not playing by the same rules of traditional political combat that most of us play in the Democratic Party. And just so my audience understands, play. what do you mean when you're talking about the Bernie Bros? What, so what, these what are, are the you, folks who come saying? online. They'll probably come on to this show um, if, we're just, if we don't say nice things about Bernie Sanders or if we say anything bad. And they'll just sort of savage everybody for not you know, ascribing themselves to the philosophy of Bernie and not Sanders. getting it, not getting it, being but, part of the corporate media that wants to suppress the campaign. That, it, that allegation has been raised against media. us all the time. They may be very similar to the to the Trump uh, folks who are out there. They come after the corporate media. They come after what they call democratic establishment uh, players. They come after the other candidates. So what we saw, what we've seen this campaign is all the other candidates um, have all the other mainstream Democrats, people who've been Democratic uh, candidates for longer than this cycle, um, have all decided that, except for Elizabeth Warren, pretty much, have all decided that Bernie, that Joe Biden is probably the most likely person to take on uh, Donald Trump, and they are leaving the building. Bernie Sanders, he's got to figure out how to get there. That's the voice of Jamal Simmons. Terry Sullivan is also with us. Stay tuned for segment two from Astro Beer Hall. Food will be arriving. Terry's already got his beer. Good on him. Back for segment two in just a second. Stream the takeout on CBSN. That's Fridays at 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern. Saturdays, 1 p.m. and 9 p.m. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. And I want to thank Bernie Sanders and his supporters for their tireless energy and their passion. We share a common goal, and together... We'll defeat Donald Trump. We'll defeat him together. As former Vice President Joe Biden on uh, March 10th, 
in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The reason it was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Constitution Center is because it canceled, that is to say, the Biden campaign, a planned rally in Cleveland, Ohio, over coronavirus fears, as did Bernie Sanders. So Jamal and Terry, uh, Jamal Firth and Terry, write the speech that Joe Biden needs to give to begin the process of pulling the Sanders supporters closer or completely inside the tent. Well, the big thing Joe Biden has to do is come up with some message of change. His entire campaign has been run on returning to the normalcy that existed before Donald Trump. And for a lot of Democratic voters, particularly the ones who follow um, Bernie Sanders, and I think some of the ones who follow Elizabeth Warren also, they don't think the era before Donald Trump was that great. And they want to go further. They want more change, not less. And I think if you just took the wider lens and looked at it, let's take a look. In 2008, America voted for a first-term senator who had spent most of his career in the state Senate, who was an African-American from Chicago, right? In 2016, they voted for a reality TV star. Um, While I think they do want some level of normalcy from where Donald Trump has taken us to, they don't seem to be in the business of looking for just complacency and let's just get everything back flat. Americans do want more change. So whatever speech it is that Joe Biden writes, it has to be one that captures some spirit of here's how I'm going to make the country better when I come back. Does he need to say I'm as angry as you are? I don't think it's anger. Like, you know, I, I think we might be overthinking this thing. I think that some of the reason Joe Biden is as successful as he is um, it's because he's just a decent kind of guy. And I think people have, are, are so thrown off by Donald Trump's indecency that they want somebody who is just kind of an honorable human being. Um, and now for the Bernie people, well, they, are, they are very interested in issues. I mean, there's an anger component to it. But they really do want more health care. They want free education. They want to tilt the scales back to war working people and away from the elites. Terry, I'm Joe Biden and I say what? If you're writing that speech for Joe Biden to get the Bernie supporters to come on board or at least be much more open-minded than they currently appear to be. I give Joe the pen and paper and say you write it from the heart. Because what voters want now is not issues or I'm for change or I'm against change or this or that. They want authenticity. And the reason we have a reality TV star is they wanted reality. And if I had a dollar for every time I heard a voter say, I don't agree with the crazy crap Donald Trump says, but I like that he's got the guts to say it. Hell, I'd, I'd buy Trump Tower. And so wh- where, where you saw Biden really start, if on that first debate, when, when every Democrat on stage was trashing uh, Barack Obama as being, you know, this moderate who didn't, you know, Obamacare, who didn't do this, or, and, and Biden just stood there and watched it, what he should have done is said, to hell with all y'all. None of you are fit to carry his water. I was part of that. I was a small part in that team. And he should have been authentic. And I think that his, his, for a while, he became too scripted. And people were writing, were so scared about this this uh, Joe Biden unplugged that they turned around and and overscripted him. And so I think that that letting him be him is the best thing they could possibly do. Would part of that sound like if you don't like it, sit it out. Yeah. If, if you think this election is really not important, sit it out. Right. Because I'm only going to go so far. And it's up to you to join yep. me. Look, well, not, we've seen, not, we've not seen me, Biden do this. Not me well, join look, you. We, we saw it. We saw it. What? Forty-eight hours ago, sure. when when, uh, when a factory worker challenged him on Second Amendment, and he, I think uh, his direct quote was, "Stop right there, Ellie. That's right. number one." <laughs> now, now, shush. Shush. I support the Second Amendment. 
Second Amendment, just like right now, if you yell fire, that's not free speech. From the very beginning, I have a shotgun, I have a 20 gauge, 12 gauge, my son's hunt. Guess what? You're not allowed to own any weapon. I'm not taking your gun away at all. You need 100 rounds. You were a veto when you said you're going to take our gun. I did not say that. That's not true. I did not say that. It's a viral video like the other ones are putting out that are saying they're lying. That was sort of Joe Biden uncorked or right. unplugged. Yeah, look, I mean, that's Delaware Joe. And that's that's who he needs that's to okay. conjure back up. Because for once in his long political career, being the crazy guy who says, you know, odd things is a plus. It's no longer a negative. And so he should embrace it and do it. I agree with that. You do. I do. I think, um, and it, look, Joe Biden has tried to become president of the United States two other times. Mm-hmm. And was uh, I think someone once called those things a miserable, miserable failure. <laughs> Another president. Um, he, this is his time. I think in, in for this party, for the Democratic Party, because he is the most authentic person up there. And if you watch a Joe Biden speech, I spent some time. I was looking at some speeches trying to figure out Joe Biden. He gave a policy speech in Pennsylvania. Where he was supposed to be debuting his economic policy. It was a 47-minute speech. He didn't talk about one such a policy until like minute 32. I mean, he spent 30 minutes just talking about where he grew up and That's how a lot he grew of up clearing. and his friends <laughs> and how much he agreed with the people yeah. and how he knew. I mean, he went through really, the I'll entire to tour of <laughs> Bidenism before right. he ever mentioned a stitch of economic policy. And But that's the reason why you like Joe Biden is because who cares? I mean, yes, we, we care about his policy. But we really care about him as a man. We think he's a good person, and we think he has the kind of stuff that might lead us. Uh, Terry, as a Republican, when Joe Biden says characters on the ballot, uh, do you think down-ballot Republicans silently say to themselves, it probably is, and that's not helpful? No, they say, oh, crap, we hope not. Republicans need to make it about issues. Um, because from that standpoint, uh, the president's done a very good job. And if this is a race on issues, um, and up until 72 hours ago about the economy, Republicans win. And if it's a race about personalities, then the Republicans... Or decency or character or something that is a little bit more either emotional or intangible. Right. Right. You, you, You as a voter place your own definition around those things as opposed to the candidate defining the framing of the parameters of the debate for you absolutely and and look I, I you know there are the most ardent supporters of donald trump uh still say i wish you wouldn't tweet and i wish you wouldn't say those things and i wish you wouldn't do this uh but i agree with him on the policy issues and so from that standpoint you know he's um uh i think that is a problem and it is in part why it's his personality and his willingness to say the offensive things that people like about him. They don't like the offensive things, but his willingness to say it because it's, say them. it looks like authenticity. Look, I, look, I'll just say that. I, I think that the Republicans are going to go after Joe Biden on this question in a way that um, will, they'll try everything they can to muddy him up, make him less decent, less honest, less honest. We've already seen it with the Hunter Biden attacks, right? They're going to do everything they can to start taking this away. You mean going after Hunter Biden for cashing in from a foreign government off of his father being vice president? Uh, Hunter Biden's a grown man who's got drug problems. Based on what I read about Hunter Biden, his father, yeah. his father <laughs> was a lifelong public servant who was worth about two or three million dollars when he was sitting in the White House. He is not a corrupt. If he is corrupt, he's bad at it, right? But but, the, but, but I'm taking, making a difference point. The point I'm making is Joe Biden is different than Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton had 
25 years of negative media attention and people had a built-in distrust of her when she ran for president in the general electorate. Joe Biden has the opposite thing. Joe Biden has 25 years of being a man who's been humbled by life, who's had to pick, figure out how to pick himself up and get back in the game. So, so me, the attacks on him, I think he's got a little bit more of a reservoir of goodwill in the American public than Hillary had. To your point, do you think that the Sanders campaign is discovering that at least half of its 2016 support had nothing to do with Senator Sanders or his agenda, and it had all to do with Hillary Clinton and even Democratic fatigue with the Clintons? That's true for every person who's ever run against Hillary Clinton. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, people who run against Hillary benefit by votes against Hillary. She's, she's got to be the, the most unlikable With candidate. With the notable exception of Rick Lazio. Right, right yeah, right. exactly, exactly. Oh, he probably benefited from it too, just not quite enough. <laughs> Jamal? Oh, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, listen, I think personally she actually is a very nice and compelling person. Her public persona does not give But the that. point is Bernie may have been getting... He absolutely signals, was false anti. flag signals about just how popular he was or how big this movement was because it's not translating without the, um, let us say, inflationary I think factor he, of Hillary Clinton and fatigue and or animosity even among Democrats. Well, and I, the second thing is Donald Trump's reality, he's not a prospect. Right. So most people thought Donald Trump, oh, no way America is going to vote for Donald Trump to be president of the United States. So we're actually going to vote for somebody who we think maybe can do some big things that we want. Now Donald Trump's a reality. And so it's not just like maybe Donald Trump. We really have to beat Donald Trump. I'm Major Garrett. We're at Astro Beer Hall. Terry Sullivan, Jamal Simmons are with us. Stay tuned for segment three. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. We can't diss these Democratic voters who are just coming out in, in every corner of this country saying, let's get on with this thing. Now, our mission as a party is to defeat Donald Trump. Let's shut this puppy down and let's move on and worry about November. This thing is decided. There's no reason to keep it going, but not even a day longer. For those of us of a certain age, that's a very distinctive voice in American politics. James Carville, he elected Bill Clinton, not once, but twice. Uh, it is a significant voice within the Democratic Party to this day. He was on Rachel Maddow on March 10th, and you heard him say it. Shut this puppy down. This is over. Stop pretending that this isn't over. And the prolongation of the thing that's already over doesn't help the party, doesn't help the country, certainly doesn't help Democrats. Terry, I know you yeah. agree with that. You would, you would subscribe to the James Carville orientation to this question. Absolutely. And, Jamal, you said, but you still got to land the plane. You still got to land the plane. I think Bernie is in a tough spot. He's got to figure out how to keep his people, how to wind down this clock that he's got everybody so hyped up on. And if he does it the wrong way, if he ends it too fast— there's no telling what happens to these folks, and they become, they become much less predictable. Buried in that uh, very articulate statement you just made is the assumption that Bernie wants to. <laughs> right. And uh, cares about landing the plane. And I want to know if you believe that, or do you know that, or do you hope that? It's hard to know. It's really hard to know. Bernie Sanders seems to vacillate between being willing to play along with the party because he said he would and living up to his word. But his heart seems to be in like, just let's overturn all the chairs. Mm -hmm. Like we came here to overturn the chairs. So let's just do it. So you guys are really expert at knowing <clears throat> what a politician is saying and knowing how it's likely to be heard. And you know, in your heart and minds, keywords that you think a politician needs to say to achieve a certain result. So I'm going to ask both of you hearing what kind of things from Bernie Sanders would convince you 
that he does want to pull the party together and he does want a unified convention and he does want to focus the party on Donald Trump. What kind of key words would you be listening for in a statement whenever it comes, should it ever come, along these lines? I endorse Joe Biden. What else? Anything else? No. Like, you know, the, the what is it, the old uh, Motley Crue song, Girl Don't Go Away Mad, Just Go Away? Bernie, stop. Like, this is this is over. The, the, the notion that it, having, a, uh, having Joe Biden on stage for two hours in a debate with Bernie Sanders is anything but, like, a high-risk, high-wire act for the dem- eventual Democrat nominee is insane. He, by the, the sheer notion of him staying in the race, is proof positive that he doesn't give two whatever word I can use without you bleeping, mm-hmm. about, about the Democrat Party. He cares about... Rats' him. appendages. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> right. He, he, cares, he cares about himself and some of his most ardent, okay. kooky followers. Right, but, but Jamal, let's say they have the debate. They are going to, by all accounts. And Bernie Sanders does not fare well, as every poll currently available suggests you will not do well in Florida, Ohio. Those are the two biggies on the 17th. And then he shuts it down. What kind of words would you need to hear? Would you believe he should say and would be most convincing to you that he's not just going through the motions, that he does want to unify the party and have a good convention, et cetera, et cetera? Um, He would have to say something like, here are the things we believe in. Here are the things that we ran for. If we hope to get any of those things done, it would be by beating Donald Trump. And Joe Biden is the best person who can do that. Right. Let's go support him and win. And that means, do you need him to say, I want no dissension at the convention? I don't want any disruptions? Do you, does he need to be that specific, go that far, or is that implied? I mean, he may you've have, talked about this tiger he's on. Does he need to rhetorically tame that tiger? He may have to get that far eventually. I think in the beginning, he just has to signal people that he thinks this is the right call. It's okay. Listen, some of these people are incorrigible. He's never going to be able to do it. And I think if he spends all of his time worried about them, then we're all going to be in a bad fix. He's got to focus on the people who thought, you know what? I think Bernie Sanders is the best way for me to get a better health care plan. Question. Those are the vo- gettable voters. Who endorses first, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders? <laughs> I'd say Bernie Sanders. Yeah, I don't know. Why? It, Why uh, do you say that? I don't think there's any margin in Elizabeth Warren endorsing. Why should she endorse? Why not? Because if she endorses Bernie, he's going to lose. No, no. If she, I mean, if she, endorses-, if she endorses Sanders... Uh, then the Bernie. No, I don't mean endorsing if she, endor- if she endorses Biden before Sanders, then all the Bernie people will be mad at her for jumping the gun and getting on the Biden train. Her power is trying to be as aligned closely to the most progressive part of the party. So let Bernie be the leader. She can come in after that, and then she could be seen as a little bit more of a team player with that crowd than You've she is. You've seen these uh, kinds of choreographies before. Should it be a joint endorsement? Would it be easier? Bernie would never do that. Bernie, yeah, Bernie would never <laughs> do that. Why? 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 I mean, ego is a real powerful thing in American politics. Right, right. <laughs> well, it's a powerful thing in all politics. We, we, don't have a, we haven't cornered the market on egoism in America. We come close to it, though. Yeah, I mean, look, you've got... But, but you cannot imagine that scenario. That's, that's, a, that's a, uh, a, a screen grab you don't think will ever be seen. Look, Bernie got hundreds of votes. Maybe by the end, he'd be close to 1,000 electoral votes. Delegates, I'm sorry, hundreds of maybe a thousand delegates. Uh, Elizabeth Warren will have seven. She came in third in her own home (laughs) state, right? Like Joe Biden. They're not peers in his mind in terms of the electoral, their electoral success. But look, here's here's why Warren should endorse beforehand because if she wants 
any chance. Look, she's a true policy person. Uh, you know, I, I think she's, I think there's lots of things I think about her, starting with that she's wrong on almost every single issue. But you can tell that she actually believes in the crazy communist crap she says. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, sorry. Um, but you, she believes in it. And if she wants to be Youth part, organizer for Jesse Hill. Right. If she wants to influence a Biden administration potentially, she needs to get on board or they're going to shut her out. That's my thought, Jamal. I'm saying, what are you waiting for? Um, I think her power, though, is in having some, what power? some currency. Yeah. 70 delegates or whatever it no, is? It's no, it's, it's more than that. It's more than that because, one, she was the last woman standing, last woman who had a chance standing. Mm-hmm. Tulsi Gabbard is still there. We should acknowledge that. Um, but she, that. she also she is kind of a folk hero to people who didn't vote for her, but they felt like, oh, I really dig what she's saying. I think she's up to something that makes sense. Some of the progressives, one of the things they hold against her is endorsing Hillary Clinton in 2016 so early, uh, right after the the decision, right after it looked like she was going to be the nominee. She's got to find a way to not create another place for them to be mad at her. Mm. Because let's say perhaps she wants to be vice president of the United States or she wants to be the Treasury Secretary. She's got to have, she can't have these people sniping at her from the left. Because you're going to get enough incoming from the right. I, I noticed Jamal okay. talks a lot about everybody's and the Democrat Party's feelings and how the how basically the, the mob runs these politicians. I mean that they're all afraid of this tiger that they're riding, and they don't want to make them mad because they're going to burn the whole thing down. So that's I the mean, party that just acquitted a president who was guilty clearly of violating the Constitution. <laughs> there we go. I like it when you guys mix it up. But Jamal, <laughs> but let me, but, but, as I listen to you talk about being on the ticket or treasury secretary to me there's a constituency of one in that and it's not bernie sanders it's joe biden you've got to have those conversations you've got to lock that down well unless unless and 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 why would you wait and be the last one to endorse if you wanted to have any of those lockdown conversations because you want to run in four or eight years for president like that's what it comes down to i mean this is yeah i don't know if that's true that, that could be true that could be true i think it's more likely though that she's looking to not stick her finger in the eye of all these bernie sanders supporters one more time interesting so i want you to start this conversation we'll go into segment four but terry your thoughts on because joe biden now has to start orienting himself to this what are the calculations he should make for running mate and are they any different because of his age at age 77 than they would be for someone not of that age yeah i'm a big believer that running mates it's it's kind of the you should apply the hippocratic oath do no harm um that they don't actually bring a lot to a ticket but they sure can't hurt one and we saw that with with palin and and mccain although um, there are some in this audience who will say palin brought the only energy to that campaign sugar high fine fine but I mean, then that says more about the top of the ticket. And not, she, she didn't, she, she was not, it was not a successful pick. Again, it goes back to if they would have let John McCain be John McCain and he would have picked uh, uh, Lieberman like he Joe wanted Lieberman, to. like he wanted I mean, to. That would have, then he can make that outsider maverick. And, and again, back to what Jamal said, in 2008, they wanted something different. And look, a Democrat and a Republican running together would have been different. Uh, you know, I guess Sarah Palin was different. <laughs> <laughs> With a capital D. That's Terry Sullivan. Jamal Simmons there. Jamal, we're going to get you on the vice presidential conversation on the other side of this break. Astro Hall, very efficient. I'm already so done with my food. Great food. You've got a beer. Back for segment four. Terry has the beer. From 
CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. For those of you who can't quite tell, I think you probably have, but if you haven't, uh, Terry Sullivan is the resident Republican at this table here at the Astro Beer Hall. Jamal Simmons is the resident Democrat. And I want to ask you, Jamal, uh, about Joe Biden's calculations for a running mate. Okay, I think there's one thing that will matter before all other things matter. He probably has to pick a woman to be his running mate. Democratic Party, from Hillary Clinton not winning to the women who ran this year not making it, and uh, the women in 2018 who made a difference in helping the Democrats take Mm -hmm. the House back, I think there's a great desire to see a woman in the leadership of this party. And this goes to the underlying premise of my question. Is the calculation different because he's 77? Because one of two things is probably going to be true. He's going to serve one term, or because of the actuarial realities, he might contract an illness or die in office. We've never elected. We've not elected anyone that old. Well, I mean, maybe so, he just will. Or there will be at maybe least. Maybe he'll Reagan it out. Or there'll be. There'll, yeah, but Reagan was 63 when he was. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying bullet. the second, the second term of Reagan was not exactly intellectually powerful. My point is people will process that. Right. Whether you want them to or not. Right. No, that's real. That's so true. the running mate question is not it's just. part of what got John McCain. We talked about John McCain a second it's ago. It's not just regional. It's not just ideological. It's not just patching the party up. It's like, whoa. This person could really genuinely be. That's always theoretically I'm true sure John, and abstractly I'm sure to, true, but I think it's going to be, my sense is it's going to be weighed much more concretely. Does that pressurize this decision? Yes, even more? and I'm sure Barack Obama will say to him, the most important thing to do is to pick somebody who could be president if they need to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I, that's a factor. Throw out a couple of names. Wait, 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 Barack Obama will say that after he picked Joe Biden? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, just check it out. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, that's the feistiness um, of uh, yes, Terry Sullivan, exactly. resident Republican. Exactly. Uh, Jamal, Which throw out a couple of clearly, names. Clearly John McCain was not thinking that with Palin. Um, <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> um, so I would say Kamala Harris is on the list. Uh, there's an ideological balance necessity that might also be in play, which puts Elizabeth Warren on the list as somebody he might want Would to Amy Klobuchar's name be on that list? Um, you know, it's on the list. I'm sure they'll vet her, but I'm not sure exactly what they get with the Amy Klobuchar pick, although I, she, she does satisfy the first criteria she could be president. Um, and then I think there's some people who, who didn't run, like Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. Um, she's, she's acquitted herself really well. Um, she's really good on television. And I think uh, she's from a state that Democrats need to win. Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. Terry? Yeah, look, I, I think... Uh not that you're going to be part of the vetting team, but I mean <laughs> names that you would look at and oh, say that would be, be a potent combination. He'll be vetting it from the other direction. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> anti vetting right, it. Yes, it'd exactly. be anti vetting. We'll it. all have the same research. We'll <laughs> yeah. just use it in different ways. Right. Yeah. No, look. Uh, at the end of the day, I agree that that the right thing to do is pick someone who could be president first. Um, but I think the second most important thing is pick someone that you believe in. Don't, it goes back to my point about authenticity and comfort and in that your you own skin. Yeah, that, that, that is someone you can get along with and that you trust. And if you pick someone that you know is poll tested and checks a certain demographic box to make other people happy, you're going to be miserable like John McCain was on the campaign. So I, I think it's critical that, they, that uh, Joe Biden picks someone that he actually likes and, and has confidence in. So I want to play something for you that I think is going to resurface uh, in this conversation as it goes forward. This is from the um, February 19th debate in Nevada. And this is a question posed very near the end of this debate by Chuck Todd. And that's number three, Ellie. Let's run that in totality. 
Should the person with the most delegates at the end of this primary season be the nominee, even if they are short of a majority? Vice President Biden? Play by the rules. Yes or no? Leading person with the delegates, should they be the nominee or not? No, let the process work its way out. Senator Sanders. Well, the process includes 500 superdelegates on the second ballot. So I think that right. the will of the people should okay. prevail. Yes. Right. Thank you, guys. Most votes should become the nominee. Let me say that last part again, quoting Senator Sanders directly. So I think that the will of the people should prevail, comma, yes. The person who has the most votes should become the nominee. Jamal, as a Democrat who cares about how this plays out, how soon does the Biden campaign begin re-racking, as we say in the biz, <laughs> that soundbite and shoving it down, metaphorically, Senator Sanders' throat? Um, they will go easy because they're very nervous about offending him too much. But other people won't. The James Carvels of the world, people who've come out there. and, and they're, This they're really is not someone speaking for Senator Sanders. Absolutely. These are his words. And remember in that debate, but remember everyone this. was asked this question. Only one person said what he said. But let's, let's, He did. Let's everyone keep, else said, play by the rules. Let's keep history intact. And remember, at the 2016 convention, when they could have had a more contested floor fight, Bernie Sanders threw his delegates behind Hillary Clinton from the floor, endorsed her, and there was one unanimous vote, and they, went, and they moved forward. But, but that's so not history, what it said. So it, history that, says that's that Bernie Sanders... That's how it played That's not exactly how it sounded, though. Of right. course. But, right. but history says that Bernie Sanders, in the end, will do it do what it takes to get the nominee coordinated. Yeah, yeah but at the same time, this is ex was exactly my earlier point about Bernie being selfish on this. Joe Biden is the only person in this race that having to fight a war on two fronts. Bernie's only worried about Joe Biden. Donald Trump's only, you know, worried about fighting whoever the Democrat nominee is. He has to fight in both directions. And but while not ticking off the Bernie supporters, also has to still win. He has to campaign against him without making them upset. It's a tough spot. Let me ask you this. This is not uh, a theoretical hold on, hold on, hold on. question. Let me say this. Yeah. Joe Biden isn't really campaigning right now. I mean, he he did. He will, he will be on a debate stage but, for two hours. But no, let me with make Bernie. this point. Let me make this point. Joe, Joe Biden doesn't really have a campaign. He didn't have any money. The, the Democratic voters just decided, like writ large, that they were going to make him uh, the nominee. I think been that is a huge disservice him. to his campaign and his campaign staff. Are you saying that it was just luck, or that the the Democrat voters it was a, a, a manna that they just decided, oh, this is the guy we're going to nominate? It had nothing to do with the campaign he was running or his campaign uh, staff. I'm saying I think that they presented a certain picture, which is one that people were found compelling. But in the end, they didn't have turnout operations. They didn't have money to do advertising. They didn't really go to a bunch of these states. Do you know and who else did Joe Biden just swept you know states. Who else He's never even visited. Didn't have a turnout operation and a ground game and all that crap that, 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 <laughs> that we all get paid for. Right? Yeah, Joe right, right. yeah, no, did big, big rake on. No, yes. but, hold on but, but no, actually, it's because uh, politics has changed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Trump. media, and it's Donald Trump. Trump. He had no field organization. Nope. He had no, so, so, frankly, well, Joe Biden ran a better. Bernie had a phenomenal turnout organization. Hell. I bet, I bet Elizabeth Warren had a, a great turnout information. It right. didn't work. Before we go, you said Joe Biden needs to be that feisty, authentic, in-your-face brawler. Does he bring this up at the debate in Arizona on Sunday? That's the problem. Is I, and I, say, hey, what are we even doing here? I, what I the heck he am to. I even doing here? Let I, me quote you, Bernie. I mean, does he throw down? Does he, he go to the mattresses? To because if he looks, if he looks weak... And he looks like he's he's just kissing up to Bernie. People aren't going to like that. So Bernie has backed Joe Biden into a corner that he's going to force him to fight out of. And that's going to be detrimental for, for the Democrat Party. Jamal, you're in the room with the Biden people. You say before the debate, throw down on this, yes or no? 
Uh, no, because there's no. an argument. There's Just an let argument, it go. There's an argument that, that, that all the voters have not spoken. Let's let the process play out, which is what he said. Maybe wait to be stage. on the other side of Florida. He said That's on the debate stage, let the process play out. And I'm sure the Bernie people will throw that back. In that there. is the same genius advice that I gave to Marco Rubio when, when Chris Christie was going to come after him in a debate in New Hampshire. Look, this guy's about to be out of the race. He's a nobody. He's a has-been. He's going to come at you. Just ignore it. And it was got terrible, terrible advice. And Hillary and Barack Obama played it all the way into the convention. Arguably, it helped Barack Obama be a stronger candidate. You get the last word, Jamal Simmons. I'm Major Garrett. For those on our radio audience, thank you so much. You can find the Takeout Outtake Especial on our podcast platforms and on CBSN. Back for that in just a second. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. This is your Takeout Outtake Especial. Astro Beer Hall is our special host. We appreciate their hospitality. We've been here before. You can see on the arrayed rectangular takeout table, lots of tater tots. Those are not keto compliant, so they're not in my platter. But they are in Terry Sullivan's and Jamal Simmons, our special guest. Terry Sullivan, our resident Republican for this conversation about all things politics. Jamal Simmons, our resident Democrat. They are feisty and cat-like at times. You'll enjoy that if you haven't caught that in the regular part of the show. You'll certainly catch it here in the Takeout Outtake Especial. Right before we left our main show, Terry, you said politics has changed. And I want to have a conversation briefly about things you have watched in your actual political lives change in the last four years. Start. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, earned media is king. What is that? So uh, there's two types of media. There's earned and paid. Paid is a TV commercial or a, or a digital ad. That you script ad yourself, or, shoot you script yourself, and, and then, then pay you for purchase. it. And then there's earned media, which is, which is you know, news interviews, uh, you sitting know, coverage. Sitting down with me. Yeah, sitting down with you. So you That's become really you, the only kind of earned media Basically, all I'm trying to matters. say is major is more valuable than it used to be. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for that. CBS executives, major, no. There's a sound more. effect yeah, for that, right, isn't right. there, for God's sake, Ellie? Right. Yeah. No, but major... Fantastic. Thank you, Mr. President. <laughs> the uh, look. So that's more. Po- that's more important. Earn media. What you can create either on websites or social media traffic or someplace else is more important than what that what you used to invest in and price yeah. so highly <clears throat> just four or five or eight, six years ago. So nobody spent more on TV in the presidential primary than. <clears throat> pardon me. Than Je- Jeb Bush. I know. This. I know. <laughs> thinking of 2016 makes me want to cry. Uh, <clears throat> Is Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush spent more on TV than any other candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know how that went. It was right. a colossal failure and a miserable Low waste yield. of his donors' money. Right. <clears throat> um, Donald Trump spent less on paid media than any other candidate, and he won. So let's just do one quick well, number. Uh, Michael Bloomberg spent more than say, $500 yeah. million dollars yeah. on advertising, digital, and television. We have no idea how much he spent on field, but some, some factor of, 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 of tens of millions on top of that. And has a handful of delegates. Donald Trump spent seventy million dollars, and he's president of the United States. Uh, those I, are I would, th- I, those are just I would to look at. The That's Bloomberg it. campaign was like a movie that had the biggest uh, budget for marketing, the best trailer, and some people that you would want to go see. And then the minute opening weekend happened, word of mouth killed it dead. Mm-hmm. Right well, as soon as people saw Michael Bloomberg on stage, I think the air popped out of that balloon. 
and said, oh, wait a minute, this guy is not ready to go up against Donald Trump. We can't do that. So what has changed in your life in politics? This Digital. This digital. Okay, talk oh, about that. Digital. I mean, you know, I remember when I was first doing campaigns, you know, the, the original tech person was like some intern who was doing websites. And then that person became like the social media person who all worked for the communications director. Right, still at the kids' table. Still kind at the of. kids' table, but they worked for the communications director. They didn't get invited to the big meetings. And they were just posting stuff online. And then... It's a whole department. And then it went to like, you know, in, the, in 2016, Hillary Clinton basically ran a digital campaign. I mean, it was all digital. They had very little field operations. This is How'd where I think you have, to, you have to do both. You have to figure, this is what the Obama people did well. They had a great digital operation. They also still talked to, for its time, time, they talked to voters face to face. They figured out how to blend the best of both worlds. Uh, But but what's really different now are the number of people who are on Facebook in particular. I mean, it's almost like the phone, it's like a utility. Everybody uses it. And so you've got to be able to communicate with people online in a way you didn't have to. But digital is is just like television in that it's it's a tool. But, But the real thing is that paid digital is no different than paid television in that it's not as effective. What makes social media effective is the social aspect. The right. pass around. That's well it, that's Meaning it and it's the I authenticity. It, my friend well, and it's, right. it's well my friend sent this to me or they posted Absolutely. it on this on their page and it's that authenticity. Now people don't trust anything anymore. Right. And you can't. So back in 2004, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can read books about this, but I covered that campaign and the Bush campaign had a very big commitment to what they called third party verifiers. This was before social media. So what was a third-party verifier? Your neighbor, your pastor, your little league coach. Always been true. The person in your world who's not your best friend, but is someone you generally trust and would consider in your larger circle of friends. And they said, hey, I'm a Bush supporter. Oh, really? That became amplified and is amplified for good or bad on social media. In both directions. Absolutely. And that was the, be- uh, the beginning of, of micro-targeting being used in campaigns uh, that Rove started doing then. Carl Rove, yes. And, and the, um, it's now, because things are so much faster now, it is tougher to use it in the same scientific way. Um, that communication is, is, is so rapid and there's so much of it. We measured in 2016 the earned media impressions and, and the paid media impressions of every candidate in the primary. And there was only two weeks of the entire primary campaign where we were measuring that Donald Trump didn't have more earned media impressions than, than every other campaign's earned and paid combined. Right. And it's, and it's usually by a substantial margin. Right. 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 I mean, right. significantly. Right. And, and so at the end of the day, it, it is about that authentic communication. So I want to bounce. You had you had the candidate. That, so, they had the candidate. So I want to bounce to this before we go to the fun and game segment. So, Jamal, people ask me all the time, are, are we uh, are politics and celebrity now intertwined? And only the only way to run anymore is to be a celebrity. Uh, I, no. I don't think that's true because you can build somebody to a celebrity. You can turn somebody into a celebrity. Okay. Um, I do think, though, politics and, and personality are. You, and you can't... The, the, the lenses of how people are looking at you, people are looking at you from so many different directions. We've always known this about television. But now it's not just television. As Mitt Romney learned, it's the waiter in the room with the, you know, with the camera phone who's recording you while you're talking. You've got to be the person you are in public. In pri- You've got to be that person all the, all time. the time. In a way, in campaigns, you didn't used to have to be. Right. You would figure out what to say when, you had, when it was time for you to go out there. You right. go out there and do it. And you come back in the room and be a salty sailor if you wanted to. You can't do that anymore. I, mem- I mentioned fun and games. One of the things we do with Every one of our guests is asked these three threshold questions. So we'll start with you, Jamal, in no particular order. 
Most influential book in your life? All-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies? And you're on a long flight or a long drive. What kind of music, artist, or genre are you most likely to listen to? Uh, favorite book, King of the Cats by Will Haygood, which is a book about Adam Clayton Powell. It's a fantastic wow. book about Adam Clayton Powell. That Never read... been mentioned on the program. I love it when you hear first-time <laughs> books. Uh, I read it when I was like 25, and it was fantastic. What's it called again? King of the Cats. And it's all about New York and Congress in the 50s and 60s and these guys. Uh, the the uh, movie. Favorite movie, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Um, science fiction guy also I think it was a great story um, and then the last one music. was uh, music um, certainly hip hop I probably spent a lot of time still listening to like 1990s hip hop New York or LA uh, a little bit of both actually Biggie Smalls and Tupac okay there you go <laughs> Mr. Sullivan yes sir you know what <clears throat> Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Repair. We've heard that before. Really? Yes. I, I, I can't I remember meet who did it, but we've had that reference. Phenomenal book. Uh, who I cannot remember the author's name, but it was just kind of one book, and it was just a phenomenal book. Um, and then uh, we're looking. Yeah, I know it's 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 a it's an. It might have been Zen and something else. There have been a couple. You know, of there's another. Variations. Yeah, there's uh, Zen and the Art of Happiness is actually another. There's another one, but yeah. but I, I know where you're going. The with original that. one that was Zen and the like this was back in the late '60s, early right. '70s, and it was yes. the original one. Um, the other, uh, let's see, the next thing was movie. Movies, right? Yeah, I'd say Big Lebowski. Oh, very good. Uh, the, my pro, my <laughs> pronoun, my pronoun is the dude, dude the dude, the dude <laughs> meister, right. yes. the dudorama. Right. <laughs> Fair, yeah, yeah, or the dude for brevity. My sake. wife yeah. can't understand why this movie exists in our playlist, but I watch it. Most women yeah. can't. Yeah, uh, music. Uh, Trampled by turtles. Uh, also, yeah. first reference. Yeah, Trampled by turtles. Uh, probably the song would be uh, "She Don't Love Me No More." Okay, very good. Metaphorically relevant or just literally relevant? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's about a guy who drinks too much and gets in a lot of fights. So, yeah, maybe. Good, good, good. I feel that way about politics. <laughs> right? She don't yeah, love I me know. no more. Right. Exactly. As, we, as we say goodbye in honor of the Big, Lewis, Big Lebowski, white Russians all the way around. See you next <laughs> there week. you go. Cheers. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seekers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.